I have a trick question that I give to people um, in RCIA or in confirmation class and things like that. It's a true or false question. Sinners, uh, grace allows sinners to go to heaven. I think that's true or false. It's false. Grace does not allow sinners to go to heaven. Grace transforms sinners into saints. The difference being that there are no sinners in heaven. There's no more sin. Sin has been wiped away, as has death, its consequence. And so everyone in heaven is a saint. Therefore, if you want to go to heaven, you have to become a saint. That's, that's the universal call to holiness the Second Vatican Council elaborated on. That we might fall into this way of thinking that the saints are like extraordinary Catholic superheroes. And then we have us ordinary people. But the call of Christ is extraordinary to each and every one of his disciples. Every one of the faithful is called in their own particular way to reflect God's love and his glory by becoming a saint. But maybe one of the reasons that we fall into this kind of two-tier way of thinking is because it's hard for us to imagine us being like the saints. At the end of today, we, we celebrate the Feast of All Saints, that all of the martyrs and the um, bishops, priests, and deacons, all the religious, all the nuns and the monks, and all of the people of God that are not in the calendar, that are not the uh, people that we normally celebrate with that ST in front of their name, all of the people who lived lives of invisible holiness and glorified God by giving themselves totally in their vocations to marriage or to single consecrated life, um, working with the poor or simply with the people in their own communities and their families, reflecting God's love in every aspect of their lives, or in need of redemption, in need of forgiveness, and, and going to heaven through the gates of purgatory and being purged of every attachment to sin before they can enter into the glory of all the saints. That's, that's the Catholic vision, that we're not just getting out of jail free because Jesus died for our sins, but that his sacrifice and the grace of Christ penetrates to my inmost being and transforms me, makes me into another Christ. And the saints that we celebrate in the calendar, the ones that are most familiar to us, are the ones that we kind of see most obviously what it means to be human, what we could be if we let go of every attachment and simply clung to Christ. But there's part of us, if we're honest, that says, I can't do that. How could I live like that? Remember when I was in high school, I first started kind of taking the faith more seriously for a lot of reasons, one of which was my dad had converted to, to Catholicism from being an atheist, and it just kind of opened my eyes. And I started uh, to try, at least, to live a little bit more faithfully what I said I believed. And I remember talking to some of my friends about it in school, and they were not religious at all, or were kind of like I had been, sort of quasi-religious on Sunday. And uh, I was surprised how many of my friends said, yeah, you know, that's, that's all right for you. I mean, religion is, is good. It's being like that is probably the best way to live, but it's not really realistic. Like, I have other things to do. I can't really make my life all about that. I can't be another Mother Teresa. I, at least I can. I'm glad that she exists, but I can't do that. And I thought that's very honest. You know, at, at the time, it kind of frustrated me, and I, I didn't understand why. But it's uh, something that Father Peter, uh, Peter, Father Peter Cameron, a Dominican, said. Um, 
that many people, it's not that they don't believe because there's no evidence or because they don't actually think it's true. It's that I can't do it, so it must not be true. It, it just can't be true that we're all called to be saints because how could we be? Look at the world. It's full of sin, full of sorrow. Is it really true that I could do that or all of us have to do that, that we're obliged to be saints? But the answer is yes. I didn't realize it at the time, and looking back on it now, I think that one of the reasons that wasn't as much of a hang-up for me, not that I was perfect, not that I'm a saint, but that I had confession, that I had gone to confession and received God's mercy, and that was like the thing that kind of ticked it off for me, that this is actually possible. Not because I am capable of being a Catholic superhero, not because I'm particularly holy or great, but because God is good and he's patient with me and he's merciful. That it is possible that one day he could even make me into one of those 144,000 carrying around palm branches and singing holy, 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 triumphant in glory in the presence of God forever. And that's where this reading for All Saints Day, the Beatitudes, is, is so interesting and appropriate. You know, Jesus talks about heaven a lot, like Matthew 25 and things like that. He could have chosen any reading for All Saints Day, but blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who feel the emptiness and the longing, feel their own inability, their own helplessness to fulfill their own vocation, to ever get at what they really long for, which is that kind of love. It's only because God is good that we can be good. And it's only because he sees the good in us, even when we don't, that we're capable of responding to that goodness and actually becoming excellent, actually becoming holy, actually becoming what we see in Christ. He's not just some guy out there doing it all for us, but that he can do it in me, that he can redeem the world, I can make up for what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ, as St. Paul mysteriously says, that somehow what I offer up to God is Jesus himself offering himself on the cross, and that I can be drawn up in that mystery of Christ's ascension to the right hand of the Father and live with him forever in heaven. But that's what I'm made for. And we see little inklings of this. We see little signs that this is so. This past week I had the sad... Uh, duty to uh, celebrate my grandmother's funeral. She died uh, a week ago Saturday, 89 years old. Uh, a beloved woman of our family. She was the uh, mother of eight children. My mother's the oldest. We have 30 cousins uh, just on that side and 28 great-grandchildren that she had. Uh, some of which are my nieces and nephews. Just this giant uh, personality of a woman just had made such an impact in the world. Uh, but was quiet and humble and self-deprecating and funny, just a normal person. Um, but it struck me as I was celebrating this funeral and looking out at all these people and many of whom couldn't be there because of COVID and I had to watch on live stream and uh, just all, all of the people whose lives she'd affected in such an ordinary way. Um, and it was sad that she's gone. You know? It was sad. But I thought to myself, I don't want her to come back to where I am. I want to go to where she is, where she is going, where she is heading. And every good thing that I saw in her was just a sign of the glory that God has in store for her and all of us. And my uncle shared this beautiful story. I'll never forget it. He said, uh, after telling a few funny stories about her, she 
obviously it was a, it was a crazy household, 1960s with eight kids. It, to keep discipline, she had to be a pretty tough lady. But she was also very tender. And he told this story, his most vivid memory of, of his mother, my grandmother, was when he was six years old. And they were all heading somewhere. And if you've ever seen the movie Home Alone, you know, the beginning of the movie where everyone's running around and going crazy. Uh, that was what it was like. And everybody was excited. They were going somewhere. And he, the six-year-old Sean, was running around making trouble, refusing to do what he was supposed to do, refusing to, uh, to get ready, and being an annoyance, and he knew it. And he ended up in the garage somehow, and he cut his leg, his shin open on the lawnmower blade because uh, he was running around not watching where he was going. And it was open. It was, it was uh, bleeding, and his dad was all mad. and said, oh, that's going to need stitches. And he was like, he's ruined the day. He's ruined the trip. And everybody was like, Sean, you jerk. And uh, he said before he knew it, his mother had scooped him up and brought him to the bathroom, sat him down on the closed toilet lid, and just immediately started addressing the wound. She started cleaning it. She took butterfly bandages and, and held it together and then put gauze over it. And he was just wailing and crying and scared. And she sat him down on, on her lap and just held him to her held him to her chest, one hand on his head, one hand on his back, and just rocked him back and forth. Shh, 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 it's okay. It's okay. And he said he just, he just was wailing into her, into her shirt and just tears streaming down his face. And he pushed back and he looked up at her eyes and uh, saw the love that she had for him and then immediately buried himself back and, and just let himself calm down in his mother's arms. And he said... That was the first time he ever remembers feeling unconditional love. That in this moment, he knew he was being bad. He knew he didn't deserve to be loved. He knew everybody else thought he was being a jerk and was ruining everything. And grandma, his mom, just took him apart by himself and loved him. Treated his wounds and rocked him to a place of peace and calm. And he said, I liked that. (laughs) I liked feeling that way. And I learned that I like unconditional love. And I learned what it felt like to love somebody unconditionally in return. And that, that memory, that, you know, it wasn't all puppy dogs and rainbows after that. It wasn't like him and his mom had a perfect relationship ever after, but it was a sign. It was like God's own love in the midst of your ordinary life. And if we're attentive to those mysteries of, of being loved, that we can see what's possible for us humans, what, what really we're after and what really we're called to is that kind of sanctity. What it means to be holy, what it means to be a saint is to be holy about the other, to be that person who takes apart the person who is being bad and loves them unconditionally. And what it means to be holy is to also recognize that I am that bad person. I am that one who is broken in need of healing, in need of someone to dress my wounds and to love me back to a place of peace and calm. And if I can receive that love, to know how much God unconditionally loves me, then I can hope to say, yes, it is possible. It's not only possible, it's necessary that I become a saint.